0: Alright, hey Rockbridge, I hope everybody is great and I want you to just to believe that you're not watching online or attending one of our six locations by accident. You're here for a reason and just want to give you a shout out and thank you for being here. If you're online, I want you to put in the chat just where you're going for Thanksgiving, how you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving and I want to wish everybody a, uh, a happy Thanksgiving. So we're in the middle of a series called Unfollow and what we've said in this is that we're created to be followers and we're all going to follow someone, we're all going to follow something, and, but as, and Jesus gives us this invitation to follow him, but sometimes there's going to be a conflict, and to follow him, we're going to have to unfollow something else or someone else. And so we've been navigating through this, last week Bo talked about unfollowing normal, we've talked about unfollowing our past, and so this week I, I want to start and set this up by a word that I've heard a lot, and, and, I, and you've probably said it, I've probably said it, when someone said, hey, how you doing, how you getting along, we all kind of, you know, we might want to say this word, okay, right? Your, your kid's going on a long trip, you know, you call, they went with a friend, they went with a relative, or if they're driving, you, hey, did you make it okay? Yeah, yeah, mom, yeah, dad, we got there, okay. Hey, how's your family doing in the midst of the whole COVID crazy? Hey, yeah, you know, we're doing Okay. Hey, how you doing financially? I mean, gas prices are through the roof. Hey, how you do? Uh, yeah, We're okay. It's tighter. It's okay, right? And, and, and honestly, right, sometimes it's just okay to be okay, right? Except in one area. And, and, and this area that we're going to reveal today and this weekend is going to challenge us and excite us at the same time. Because I, what I want to say is there's one area that it's just not okay to be just okay, all right? And and, and I get this principle several places in Scripture, but it jumps out of the page in Psalm 42.1 when the Word of God says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. So God, I want more of you. So just like a deer gets thirsty and is looking for a brook, a stream, a creek, a pond, a river, a body of water, God, I get thirsty for you. I want you. There's never a time when a deer can say, hey, I don't need any more water ever. And the Psalms, the sons of Korah, we believe, wrote this. There's never a time, God, where I don't want more of you. So so what I want to invite all of us to do this weekend, and I think it's a spiritual disease, is to unfollow spiritual okayness spiritual okayness. Hey, me and God are okay. No, no, no. Hey, hey. How, how's your spiritual walk? Hey, it's okay. You know, hey, are, are you confident that you've got a relationship with God? Yeah, we're okay. No, no, no. I want us to unfollow okayness. Just like we could never say, I've never, the deer can never say, I've, I've, I've ne- I got enough water, I'm okay forever, I never need more water. No, no, no. We always need more of God than we presently have. And there's a challenge in that. There's some conviction in that. But there's also an invitation in that. And there's also an understanding of God's glory and God's greatness in that. And, And it comes out in Scripture in so many different places. Look at this verse, okay? Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. When's the last time any of us have just looked at God as a portion, as our portion, meaning as what we need to satisfy our deepest needs, as what we need to satisfy our soul. Now, we're going to look at Thanksgiving turkey as a portion, right? Some of us have looked at drugs and alcohol and the opposite sex as a portion, right? Some of us have pursued a career that if we don't have a better career and a better job and more money next year and the promotion after that, then and we pursued that as a, as a, as a, as a portion, right? But when we look at God, we almost like we don't even have a category, we don't even have an understanding that God is someone to desire, that God is someone who has the capacity to satisfy, that God is something we can long for like we long for a cool drink on a hot day or we long for a good meal with family and friends over Thanksgiving. We reduce God and, and we shrink God. And whenever we reduce God and shrink God to something less than he is, then we put God out of reach and we cause all kinds of consequences to our spiritual journey. But think about how you think about God. Think about how our culture thinks about God. And listen, I know some of you watching, some of you here, you're not Christians yet. That's okay. We're glad you're here, number one. Some of you are religious people and spiritual people. And you think about God just sort of the way it was sort of God was presented to you or handed to you or revealed to you, however that happened. But let's just step back for a minute and think about how we think about God. Sometimes we just think, man, God's just a concept, right? He's just kind of the man upstairs. He's out of sight. He did something to get this whole thing going. It's just a concept. He's Not a a relationship, not an encounter, not an experience with God, just a concept, right? Like the concept of outer space. It's out there. It's pretty distant. We know it exists, but, you know, I got to go to work tomorrow. God is a belief. Well, I hear all the time, especially in the Bible Belt. (laughs) I got my beliefs. Yeah, okay. And I believe in God. Check, right? Now let's go have some turkey, right? God is a source of help. And, and, and that's true that he is, right? But, but here's the challenge. If you don't need the help, do you still long for God? It, it, this explains why church attendance goes up after 9-11 and goes down shortly thereafter. It's why church attendance goes up when the doctor says, hey, I've got some news. When that news gets better, eh, right? God is a tradition, right? Many of us raised in the church, raised that, hey, it's just sort of what we do. And, and then some of us, God's just a fear. And like, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, or long as I do enough, you know, man, God won't pull me over, like the cop that, you know, sits on the corner of the street every now and then trying to catch us, right? And, and we just need a, a, an understanding of God that puts him in the same category as the deer that's longing for water. I'll never forget this. I, I drove down to outside Atlanta to learn from another pastor about how he led his church, things that God was doing in his church. And I I knew from reading about this pastor that that he had a pretty profound prayer life. And and so I just said, it's kind of the last question on my list of questions that he was so gracious to answer. I said, hey, I say, brother, I said, hey, pastor, just tell me something about your prayer life that might help me. And you know, I'm looking for some nugget of practicality. We'll do this on Monday and this on Thursday and you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm ready. And, And he didn't say anything like that. He looked at me And here's the phrase, and I've never forgotten it. It's in my notes. He said, Matt, God has to be sought. not, Not God has to just be believed in. Not God has to be considered. Not God has to sometimes be trusted. Not God has to be obeyed. But God has to be sought like a deer seeks water when it's thirsty. Because here's what's true about all of us, believers, non-believers, Christians, non-Christians, it's true about all of us. We seek out what we desire. We really only ever do what we want to do in the moment, right? Now, someone with, with greater power, greater authority can make us do something we don't want to do, but as soon as that power, as soon as that authority is removed or out of sight or less powerful over us, then we only ever do what we want. So we seek what we desire, so here's the challenge, if we don't desire God or don't understand God as an entity worth desiring as God as a deer pants for the water, so we long for God, if we don't un- think God is someone to be desired, we won't seek God and thus we'll miss God, right? And, and I was thinking about this and I thought, gosh, this is such an explanation for so many problems, for so many challenges, Right? That if God is not desired, a.k.a., then God is not sought. This is an explanation for many things. It's an explanation for sin struggles. You know, for years in church, you know what we said to people? for year, Your parents probably said some of this stuff. Well, you should not, and we told people what not to do. The problem is sin, how does sin originate? Sin originates with a desire. You have a desire for this shortcut, this way, this, this path, this person, this pursuit is a way to satisfy this desire, albeit sinfully. And so we, we seek what we desire. And the challenge is when we don't understand God as a desire, the desires that we have for validation, for fulfillment, for significance, for identity, de- for pleasure, those desires still have to be fulfilled. And if we don't look to God and seek God for the fulfillment of those God-given desires, where are we going to look? That's sin. That's sin. And so then we just said, oh, well, no, God, nobody's perfect. God understands. No mat. No rock breeze, No. Ch- God has to be sought. God has to be sought. It's also an explanation for what's going on in America. The rise of nominalism, in name only Christians, the rise of the nuns. Largest, fastest growing religious group in America is nuns. What religion? None. What affiliation? None. Church attendance dropped significantly by about about 20% since the pandemic. Bible engagement, Bible reading, prayer, all-time low. Why is that? Well, if God is not to be desired, then God, and God, then God will not be sought, and we don't go to the places where God is most likely to be found. Right? It explains so many things. But we've raised a generation of Christians that have sought more of the American dream or more of a political victory than they don't know how to seek God, like a deer seeks a water source when it's thirsty. This explains also the decreasing engagement, like we said, in the church, decreasing engagement in Scripture, those places where God has promised to be found. This explains why people are bored with church, Bible reading, prayer, and worship. Because we don't know that the goal of prayer, of worship, of Bible reading, is not to check a religious box. We don't understand that the goal of church, Bible reading, prayer, and worship is God. Some of us think if we do those things, we keep God off our back. Some of us do those things, think if we do those things, we get God on our side as if God's a commodity that we trade for. Some of us think, you know, those are are our traditions. That's just what we're supposed to do. That's how I was raised, so that's what I do. But what if we viewed those things as this is how you seek God and get more of God? And then I, I would be willing to say, And I put myself in this question mark category. As I was sharing with uh, three friends, I'm in this D group on Thursday mornings. It's like a smaller uh, form of a small group where we just read Scripture together, talk about its implications, applications of our lives. And, you know, I was just sort of saying, you know, and we were all sort of saying, you know what, there sometimes is a spiritual dryness that sets in. Spiritual dryness. Because the desire for God has dropped. And I just wonder, maybe that describes more than just me. Maybe that describes a lot of us. It's just dry. And so can we just stop? And you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head. But just pray this with me in mental and heart level agreement. God, we want more of you than we presently have. God, as we open your word right now, would you reveal yourself to us in refreshing ways, like the cool stream to the thirsty deer? Amen. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn them on, open them up. We're going to be in First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 into... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 into chapter 2. Here's the Word of God. He says this, because you've been born again, <clears throat> that's another phrase, for I've become a Christian. I've been born with a new nature. It overcomes my sin nature and now I have the nature of God in me through the Spirit of God. And this is not of perishable seed, which is the first birth that you and I get. We're perishable, right? Perishable. and then But it's imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. So the Word of God has a factor in helping us know how, move toward being becoming a Christian, being born again. And he says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel, the good news, that was proclaimed to you. So he comes back to the word of God as being instrumental in being born again. And then he moves into chapter 2, but we know the original Bible didn't have chapters and verses. Therefore, in light of what I just said, rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And he gives us an analogy. He says, like newborn infants, desire. There it is. Desire the pure milk of the word The same word called the gospel that you heard, the same word that enabled you, that empowered you, that brought faith in your heart, where you were born again, where you trusted Christ, gave him your sins, surrendered, gave him the steering wheel of your life. That same word, you desire that pure milk of the word like a baby. Is there ever a time, most of us have had been around newborns, ever a time a new baby has stopped crying and never, I don't need any more milk. No, that doesn't happen, right? So, that, so the, the analogy teaches us this. There's never a time we can say, man, I've got enough, God. That prayer I prayed when I was eight years old at VBS, man, I got all the God I needed. Now, never a time that we can ever say, I'm spiritually okay. God, I've had enough. Now, you're going to say you had enough turkey, I promise you on Thursday. You can never say you've had enough, God. Because why? Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that... By it, you may grow up into your salvation. And then we get a big if. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, that's crazy because here's what he says. He doesn't say if you've believed in God. He says, look, if you've tasted, if you've sensed, if you've experienced, the Lord is good. Not the Lord is good because... The doctor's report was negative. Not the Lord is good because the sun will come up tomorrow. Not the Lord is good because you got the promotion. Not the Lord is good because you got a cost of living increase. But the Lord is good just because he's good. You see that? You see that? That if God is eternal, he's always been good. He can't be anything other than good, but it's when we receive His Word like a newborn infant, like a deer that pants for water that's thirsty, when we receive His Word, His Word that includes gospel, good news, His Word that helps sinners who are destined to perish and spend eternity apart from God, not have that fate, but rather have a glorious future through this word that it helps us what this understand God is just good. It's all he can ever be. He can never not be good. It's who he is. So we desire that. Now, if we break that text down, there's a couple of things that are very powerful and very important for us. The central command in the whole text is to desire. Desire. That that first thing, get rid of, that's actually a participle that modifies desire. So our desire for the pure milk of the word overcomes our sinful desires of malice and envy and slander, right? That's what he's saying. So the central command in the text is to desire, and that something happens when you and I are born again, that it's not only do we start believing in God, Satan believes in God, Satan just doesn't taste and understand and desire God. See that? So so we have millions of Christians in name only who will say, I believe in God, I've prayed a prayer, I've been to church, I've been baptized, I've gone through catechism class, I've gone through confirmation, I was raised in the church, but if they have no desire to long for God like the deer longs for the water, The text says, if you've tasted, then you're born again. So desire for God is essential in salvation and in continuation of maturing and moving closer to God. The central command in that text is to desire. Now that's hard, right? Because some of us are like, well, Matt, if I don't desire Brussels sprouts, is God going to make me do something I don't like to do? So we've got to unpack that. But let's understand that. That's where the Word of God comes in. The Word of the Lord, which aims at... And climaxes in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ came to save sinners. Christ died for sinners. Christ died to adopt us into the family of God. Christ died to make us citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Christ died to put his Holy Spirit in us. He rose again in accomplishment and a guarantee of those things, right? So the word of the Lord, which aims at and climaxes in the gospel, reveals or transmits the goodness of God to people. So it is the intake of the word of God that enables us, transmits to us, enables us to taste the goodness of God so that we want to follow, be with, pursue, long for God. Matt, God has to be sought. We only seek that which we desire. We taste God in the gospel. We taste God in the word. And he's so good, there's never a time where we say, I don't want any more, right? You ever had like the best, I mean, what's pick your favorite food. Steak, seafood, pasta, what you're going to eat on Thursday, whatever. Pick your favorite food. And it's so good. Would you ever just put your fork down and say, I never want to eat that ever again in my life. You know? No, you'd never say that, right? You would never say that. you like, man, that was so good. You'll tell 15 people about that. You'll salivate when it comes up, right? It's amazing because it's, good. When we taste that God is good, we can never have enough. And so we understand now that really what God's been doing in this whole helping us be born again, and what the gospel does is the gospel is the way to get people to God. We sometimes believe it's the way to get people forgiven. Forgiveness just gets rid of the obstacle that stands between you and God which is your sins and my sins. Forgiveness is when Jesus pays the penalty for that, removes that obstacle, so now I can get to God. We sometimes say, well, the gospel is the way to get people to heaven. What makes heaven heaven? God. So the gospel is the way to get people to God, and it opens up. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. The moment you and I are born again, we are assured of our position in Christ. Yet we're dissatisfied. We're not okay with our experience of him. We want more. We long for greater understanding, greater intimacy, greater fellowship. So we long for more. That's what he says, like newborn infants. There will never be a time that the newborn baby says, I never want to eat again. If that happens, what's wrong? Something's wrong. If a Christian says, I never want more of God, something's wrong with the birth. Right? You see it in the text. So powerful, right? So assured of our position in Christ, meaning he's never going to say we're not his kids, meaning, right, he's never going to cast us away, meaning we know that we know we're we're his children, but we're dissatisfied with our experience of him. And at the same time, we're fueled by promises that we can have more of him than we presently do, so we long for him like the deer longs for the cool water. Here it is. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. When is the last time we've heard and thought of God in those terms? In a way that we think about satisfaction and contentment. Matt, God has to be sought. You see, desire always lays out a path and lays out a direction. If you're hungry, you got to beeline to the kitchen or to a restaurant or to your lunchbox. (coughs) If you're thirsty, you got to go to get water. You got to go to, excuse me, the drink machine. If you're lonely, you got to get around people. Desire always lays out a direction. And here's the powerful thing. The direction is not for the good and perfect gifts that God gives, but it's for the far better gift that God is himself. See, I, 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 think, I think in evangelism, I think in the church, we've stopped talking as much as we should about God as the best gift there is, and we focus more on self-help on Monday, and we focus more on your best life now, and God will just help you get to your best life now instead of saying God is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Seek him. Seek him the way a thirsty deer seeks water. So this path, we're promised. Look, the path of life. What's the path of life? That in your presence is abundant joy, so at your right hand are eternal pleasures. So God as a pleasure, God as a source of abundant joy, so my path is to pursue God. Matt, God has to be sought. So how does this work? How does this begin to show up? There's, there's a quote that I love, <clears throat> and it's from a French mystic, a French writer named Antoine Saint exupery He says this If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Now, think about it. We've all been told, we've all been told, hey, read your Bible, go to church. We've all been told, hey, pray more, give more, do more, serve more, cuss less, right? We've all been told those things. But have we been taught to long for the endless immensity that is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Have we? And what these texts and it's full in the word of God, show us is that God is like the endless sea. And so yes, we'll read our Bibles to find and reach and connect more to him. Yes, we'll come to church. Yes, we'll get involved in prayer or Bible study, but our goal is God. So so it works sort of like this. You know how like trends get started in fashion, right? Somebody wears something, some celebrity, some cool person wears, it's same like social media, likes, you know, and you can go trending in your Twitter and your Facebook feed, and, and people just sort of see this thing, and they see this viral video, or they see this cool way to wear your hair, or they see these cool sandals and these cool shoes or this cool shirt, and it just kind of starts trending, right? And the next thing you know, you know, you're trying to figure out how you can get one. Where did you get that? Where did you find that? And where was that? And the next thing you know, you get your checkbook out or your debit card out or your Venmo out, and you're buying it, and you make a transaction because something has captivated you. It's the same thing. Captivation. Something captures our attention. And we begin to focus on it and concentrate on it and think about it so much that it becomes a desire. It's what advertisers do, right? And then they get a celebrity, like a a great sports athlete or a famous movie star, to wear it, to show it, to advertise it. And that captures and deepens your intensity because there's something in you that says, I want to be like that. Or that looks cool on them. So maybe it would for me too. And then the next thing you know, there's something that happens. And we buy it, we purchase it, we put it on, we try it out. And we're like, man, this looks good, this feels good. I see why they like it, right? It's the same thing as we are captivated by God in the gospel in what he's done, what he's revealed himself to be, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death in my place, his death for me, his death instead of me. And I begin to look at Jesus, and I begin to look inside the heart of God and say, what would cause God to give himself in my place? What would cause God to die for a sinner, a rebel, a traitor like me? And I focus on that, and it causes my love for God to increase. And when love increases, what do we do? We pursue what we desire. We seek what we love. God has to be sought, as Paul says it this way, and we all who with unveiled faces, so now we can see God, not fully, completely, but partially and substantially in the gospel, so we contemplate, Right? what do we say? Captivation, concentration, we contemplate the Lord's glory. As we contemplate, we're being transformed, right? It's what we said, captivation by Jesus, captivation by God, hunger, desire, thirst for God. Concentration leads to transformation. So we're transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. The Psalms, it says it this way, as for me, I shall behold, I shall look at, I shall focus, I shall fixate on your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I'll be satisfied with seeing your likeness, with seeing your likeness. So I, I, I will say this, the great need of the hour is to not be okay with being okay spiritually. But the great need of the hour is to learn again, church, how to seek God. How to seek God. So I'll give you a couple of handlebars. First one is this. It's okay not to be okay. Seek the Lord. I want to say this. I bet you there's three groups of people here today listening. Some of you. It's time for you to seek the Lord again. You recognize your spiritual thirst. It might have been masked as a thirst for a career, a thirst for money, a thirst for a boyfriend, a thirst for a better marriage, but it's really the Lord that you need to seek. Some of you, it's, I need to seek the Lord more than I presently do. I can tell my desires for him are starting to grow cold, and I need to recapture my first love. Some of you seek the Lord for the first time while he may be found. It's okay not to be okay. You only ever pursue what you want and you desire, so seek the Lord. I think we need to learn how to read the Bible better. We tell people, let's read the Bible, but let's read the Bible better. Here's how we should read the Bible. It's the living word of God. We just read that in 1 Peter. It's the living word of God. So we read the Bible not just for information. We read the Bible not for application. We read the Bible to encounter God. Changes how you read the Bible. Changes how you read the Bible. I, I was confessing in my D group this morning, this week, <coughs> that I've gotten into a, a habit over the last two weeks. I read the Bible to check off and be able to tell myself I've read the Bible. That's not encountering God. That's not seeking God. That's just seeking to satisfy some religious ritual that I've somehow put in some pharisaical box in my brain to satisfy some legalistic consciousness that I have. That's all sinful. We read the Bible to encounter God. So, for example, here's what happens. Most of us read the Bible like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Man, how can I? Why can't I? And we come away guilty or we come away burdened. When you encounter a command of God, let that command of God teach you what God is like first. Before you think what you need to do, ask yourself, who does this tell me God is? And so it works like this. When when you read something that says God tells you you need to be generous with your money, most of us throw our hands up, oh, I can't do that. You know the price of gas down here, God, right? But stop for a second. What does it mean that the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and earth, the God who gave his only son for you asks you encourages you commands you to give money to give money back to fund his causes what does that mean about god what does it mean that he encourages you and i to be generous well it tells us something right he's asking you to be like he is cuz you can never outgive god and god gave his son and god gives his spirit and god spilled his own blood for you and i and it also tells us that, hey, if God asks me to give, he is a provider for me. So I give to trust him, and he provides me. And it reminds me, man, the reason this command of generosity or this practice of generosity is in Scripture is because God himself is good, and I've tasted that he's good. See how it works? Instead of walking away guilty, instead of wait, throwing our hands up, well, I can't give the price of gas, right? No, God's generous and God's a giver and God provides for his own, right? So in 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 1 Peter 2, 1, we read about malice and slander and we're like, man, God doesn't know who's in my life. God doesn't know what they said about me on social media, but I'm taking, but I stop and I'm like, "Look, look at the life of Jesus. Who did he slander? Who did he malign? The guy that came to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, what did he call him? Friend. And I've just tasted the goodness of God. And as you taste the goodness of God, your love for God goes up. And then here's where the power for obedience comes. Great love is great power for obedience. So it's all about tasting that God is good, even in his commands, that we're tempted to think are burdensome. They're actually a revelation of his goodness, which causes us to love him more. And great love is great power for obedience. Another suggestion would be that we learn to attend worship services as the participant, not the audience. I think we've been ingrained, right, in our culture. Man, I hope the sermon's good. I hope they sing songs I like. But what if we walked into our corporate worship gatherings and we said, I'm not here to be the audience. I'm here to participate in the act of worshiping God, encountering God. Yes, through the right preaching of his word, through the singing of his praises, through the interactions with his people. This is all in scripture. Look what Psalm 30 says, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth worship the Lord with gladness and look, come before him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pastures. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is, here it is again, good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, I used to have a hard time because I'm a terrible singer. My worst fear is I leave my microphone on. It's your, it should be your second worst fear as well, right? It's one of my worst fears. And then someone said this, listen, why does a bird sing? Because it has a song. Why do Christians sing? Because God's put a song in our hearts, the song of his goodness and his love, right? And he loves to hear his people sing. But when you recognize God as the audience and we're the participant, instead of flipping that, it changes how you walk in. It changes how you open your Bible. It changes how you think of church. Final suggestion. Prepare now for forever. Prepare now for forever. Because we will spend forever seeking God and being satisfied by Him, in Him, and with Him. There will never come a time in eternity where we will grow tired of seeking God. Our desire will only increase. Our intensity of seeking Him will only grow and we will continually be satisfied. You know, the best day of eternity is the next day. Every day is better than the next. But until that day comes, it's not okay to be spiritually okay. God has to be sought. May we seek him while he can be found. Let's pray together. God, I, I know this, this, this day watching online in all six of our locations. We're, we're all seekers, God. We're seeking something. We're seeking someone. We're all followers. God, I pray that today you would wet appetites, create thirst, create hunger, that there would be people captivated by you that would want to seek you. I pray, God, that that is for some people we need to seek you again. For some people we need to seek you more. For some people, we need to turn to you right now for the very first time and seek you, giving you our sins, giving you the steering wheel of our lives, giving you a sweet surrender with the commitment to follow you forever. So, God, have your way in your people. And I pray, God, that you do something I cannot do. I pray, God, that you do something no one here can do on their own. I pray, God, you touch our souls right now with the living water of your ever-present reality and goodness. May we taste and see that you are good. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.